0: Navigating the Datascape with Porter Chavez and special guests.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Datascape podcast. Today, we are going to be covering our favorite announcements out of the Data Plus AI Summit 2022 by Databricks. This is Databricks' premier conference where they showcase all the major announcements that are coming into both the open source projects that Databricks works on and the actual Databricks product. And joining me today, a regular guest in our show, a man that's an expert in everything related to big data and Databricks in particular, Mr. Luan Moreno Maciel. Luan, say hi to the listeners, please.
0: Yeah, first and foremost, thanks for the kind words and thanks for having me again. (laughs) Say it's becoming like... Yeah,
1: oh, well, because you're an expert on many things, so that's good. Let's get cracking. There's a lot to cover today, and once again, I just want to uh, mention that this is Luan and myself's favorite announcements of the conference. But you can go to Databricks's website, go to their um Data and AI Summit blog post where they have outlined a big, big list of everything down to like you know every single announcement. But we're obviously going to try to keep this into a manageable length for the episode so we will gonna walk through our favorite ones but there's a lot here and a lot of really good stuff biggest one in the open source space delta lake 2.0 for the people that are not familiar with this delta lake is databricks's implementation of spark tables that are a more powerful more feature complete version of Spark tables. And you can use them with many other products nowadays. They have integrations with uh, Snowflake, with Synapse, all sorts of different things. And the Delta Lake tables, they allow you to do many cool things that you can't do with the built-in Spark tables. We're talking about things like you can do asset transactions on Delta Lake. You can do time travel on Delta Lake tables. You can do a Z ordering on Delta Lake tables. You can do lots of good things. (laughs) One thing to keep in mind, is that up until now, there was basically two different versions of Delta Lake. The Delta Lake open source version was lagging in features to the actual Databricks Delta Lake version that you would get if you paid for Databricks. But coming up with 2.0, this is due for a big change. So Luan, walk us through what's inside this 2.0 bundle for Delta Lake.
0: Uh, well that's a big leap for delta and especially for the spark community because we used to have this problem like daunting problem to have two different delta lake uh flavors one dealing with databricks set of databricks and another dealing with the open source specifically for supporting some of the major features that databricks would <clears throat> have it under his pocket and well we have a lot of good things and i think now people could leverage using apache spark 3.2 with the latest rc1 release uh the general availability is not totally ready yet we are on the release date one so we are about to launch in the upcoming months the the 2.0 and we have important milestones here reached so i'm going to go through some of those and you can just comment if you want so i think though i listed like a really good things about CDC, like changing data feed or CDF. I think it's pretty important because uh, whenever we used to process data on the data lake, we used to go and read the bronze tables all the time or the tables all the time, and now we can simply enable this capability of change data feed and you can, you're
1: going to oh, be allowed cool. yeah.
0: to, to only read different shades of data, which is pretty cool. So good. you
1: can, yeah, you can restructure your transformation processes right you could say yeah instead of like having a scheduled job or polling like the say for example the bronze or the silver tables to move them forward in the pipeline you could just do everything based on the change feed right
0: and that's big you know why it could
1: be very efficient yeah
0: yeah yeah because you know we used to to pay for the merge uh whenever we hitting from gold to silver, bronze in one time, in one place, you're going to pay for that. And by having the data feed, you can only apply that specific partition if you do some altering or some uh, updates on the table, which is pretty cool. So it's going to allow you to do either batch or streaming, right? It just allows you the both capabilities. Uh, I think, Wander, you would like to talk about this Z-ordering stuff because I know that you're, uh, we used to, Talking in calls with customers, that he just would understand the difference between the Delta Lake vanilla and the Delta Lake inside of DataBricks, and this is a huge thing, like the Z ordering stuff.
1: Yeah, Z ordering is moving now into open source Delta Lake, right, with this 2.0 uh, release. And and for people that are not familiar with this, basically Z ordering is in a performance optimization where you can specify uh, values to order by the data sets inside the Delta table, so that The optimizer for spark can eliminate files right be more efficient at how much data it actually has to read and the cool thing about this again is that it's basically taking a feature that was a proprietary um databricks feature and databricks is putting it out there into the open source delta uh, implementation right so everybody that is using delta lake in the the open source package they will benefit from uh, these features that is very, very cool. All right. Uh, any other features in the Delta Lake 2.0, Luan, that I, you think are worth mentioning?
0: Yeah, I think the the last one that I would like to mention is the Python and Scala API support to optimize in the ordering. So prior that we used to have SQL only to run the optimize in the ordering, and now you can use either Python and Scala to apply that, which is pretty cool. Okay. You don't have to switch between languages to do that.
1: Okay, that's cool. And I can see there's a few other things that might be interesting for people that are um, looking to do more in-depth development with Delta Lake. So we got supports for multi-part checkpoints, uh, idempotent writes, dropping columns, dynamic partition overrides, And again, we're not going to go into each one of these in detail for this particular episode. But if you are interested, feel free, just go to... um, your favorite search engine and just search for Delta Lake 2.0 and you'll be able to find the GitHub repo where all these changes are properly documented. All right, so let's move on again. And this is another one that's out of the open source side of of, uh, the Databricks company and it's MLflow. 2.0. 2.0 so mlflow is a library that databricks created to be able to standardize somewhat some of the different uh, steps of the machine learning process right to be able to register experiments to register the results to register the models to then be able to compare performance of the models this is all done through the mlflow libraries and now databricks is releasing mlflow 2.0 and they are introducing as a new feature, the MLflow pipeline. So what, Luan, maybe walk us through, what what are the MLflow pipelines? This is the new feature for yes, MLflow
0: I think, Yeah, I think it's pretty simple. It's the way to standardize the process. So we used to have, uh, within the MLflow library package, we used to have different components inside of the mm-hmm. MLflow per se. And the MLflow pipelines bring the same capabilities as the data engineering pipeline, where it can structurize the init of the process, the processing, the modeling, the, the, the entire end-to-end ML Ops cycle. So mm-hmm. uh, it, whenever it was first released in 2018, uh, ML Ops only have the pipeline control, but you would you not have all the capabilities inside of a bundle. So MLflow pipelines just simplify the entire workload end-to-end for a machine learning process in order to analyze the data proper, put the machine, uh, the machine algorithm out there for an API and control, all the resources for you within a a single point operation.
1: Yeah. So it makes it even easier to consume the MLflow libraries, right? So you don't even have to really understand the MLflow API, you can just Deploy an MLflow pipeline and then modify the pipeline for what you're doing, right? So it's like yeah. a a new um, type of resource that you can use, and it makes it just easier to leverage the MLflow capabilities, right? So this is cool, and this is very interesting, very important, um, because I mean, you and I have seen how many people are starting to get interested, of course, in machine learning experimentation. But a lot of people still struggle in how to how to do it at scale and how to do it so that it is like production grade, right? Not just like somebody running an experiment on their laptop and then you have no way to make it into a production system. So I really think that's where the value of MLflow comes in. Next up, Project Lightspeed. I know this one is a big one. And I know this one, you were cracking open the champagne and stuff when they announced this last week. Is databricks is going big investing into the Spark project to improve Spark stream processing? So walk us through what are they planning in this space? I know it's gonna be huge. Um I'll let you give the details.
0: Yeah, it's more than glad to talk about that. Thank you so much for opening uh to speak about it. So Prior, I would say prior to structured streaming, what would be the new introduction, new structured streaming API for Spark, we used to have, you know, uh, the old fashioned way to do a streaming, which was a little bit complex. So Databricks just built something on top of that, allowing you to use SQL underneath the HUD to process data that was introduced in Spark 2.0. But many of these features, such as exact one semantics and end-to-end guarantee of a data lake in Kafka, they they were pretty neat and cool. However, we were missing something more advanced in terms of processing and dealing with streaming data. So Flink, for example, in ksqlDB, he used to have multiple joins, for example. And in structured streaming, you would not be allowed to join multiple joins. Like, you can only have one-to-one, And then from Mm. that output, you would create another join. But for today's, I would say necessity of streaming, which is becoming more and more um, broadly for customers asking for streaming. They're now bringing new capabilities into the process and they're now bringing this new project called Lightspeed, which aims to provide and and make some improvements on on, on some areas which which are really important. For example, offset management to speed up the, the recovery process. Uh, checkpoint frequency. So now you're going to be able to specify the frequency that you want to sync your checkpoints, and also you're going to have the capability to sync the checkpointing. For some specific cases, are really useful, especially when you're dealing a huge amount of incoming data. Mm-hmm. But then not only that, that that's improvements that they're going to go through these three pillars. <clears throat> but now they they have new things that are bringing to the table, which is the first very own cool call it multiple stateful operations. So now you're going to be able to do multiple joins. So you're going to be able to join three, four, five streams at the same time in one place. That's going to hit a, a huge uh, set a huge stone for a huge leap for structured streaming, in my opinion, because then it's going to make customers to stay on the Spark structured streaming rather than go to Flink or ksqlDB. Uh, we're going to have also the advanced windowing, be able to extend the window capabilities, asyncIO, and also parity the Python API uh, in order to provide all of these features in Python as well. And not only that, they are also bringing new connectors. Uh, they are going to release uh, enhancements on previous connectors. And furthermore, they're going to add the Google Pub sub and Amazon DynamoDB uh, into that. Something that is worth to mention is that Lightspeed, uh Lightspeed is going to roll out incrementally by collaborating with the community and it's not ready yet. And Databricks is saying that they're going to expect these new features to come up and on board within the early next year.
1: Okay. Okay. That's really cool. Yeah. This is a a huge leap forward for uh, streaming on Spark, right? The fact that they're putting in all this. Um, I guess it's really early, obviously, as you just mentioned. We expect most of these features by early next year, but it is really cool to see that they're working on and they're giving everybody a heads up. So if somebody's thinking, you know, should I invest in this technology? Then it gives them confidence that this is a place that is going to be growing in capabilities uh, very quickly and very soon, right? And closing a lot of feature gaps that we still had in structure streaming with Spark 2.0, right? So that's really, really good. All right. And now this is a new a way to do Spark architecture. Very interesting as well. Um, Spark Connect reminds me of Kafka Connect, obviously. What is Spark Connect? What, why do we need Spark Connect? And how is it gonna change the way that people uh, interact with Spark going forward?
0: Yes, uh, we used to have a classic problem dealing with Spark. Uh, so this client server architecture that Spark has used to be totally tied and coupled with the client server architecture. So whenever we had to access, uh, I would say the server from, from Spark, uh, we used to have this problem to have to open up the Spark or either connect directly into that. So because of that, that was generating a lot of issues because today we have the necessity not only to plug like normal Spark applications, but also we have Zeppelin, we have you know the Databricks uh, interface and we have any other tools to connect into uh sparks so this way the community that was a huge uh, weighted thing that is called sip s-i-p which mm-hmm. is spark improvement proposal it's been out there for a couple of uh, months so that's the idea to put something in between the client and the server allowing for them to decouple and spark connect is going to allow you to pretty much be this middleman that's going to deal with the client requests and offload them to the server. That's going to allow you to decouple remotely the server. And it's going to give you like some goodies such as um, like remotely connectivity. And also it's going to give you like security uh, protocols to improve your connections into Spark cluster.
1: And it's going to make it probably really easy to see a new generation of uh, platforms and devices and everything that will be able to interact with spark directly right so it should also impact the um, how much people adopt spark going forward yeah. right true okay now let's move into the proprietary announcements. So there's a new runtime for Spark 3.3 coming out now as part of Databricks. Now from here forward, just keep in mind, if you're listening, these are Databricks announcements. So these are announcements that are not gonna impact the open source Spark, but they're going to impact you if you are a Databricks customer. All right, so what's new in the 11.0 runtime of Databricks uh, for Spark 3.3?
0: Well, I think that's pretty magical, to be honest with you, because, you know, one of the problems that we have dealing with an Spark is that we have to deal with Jars. And whenever we have a new uh, version of Spark 3.3, for example, new Spark, we always have to come up and get back to our project and see if the Jars are compiling or if they're working well. And most of the cases, this is not true. So we have to get back to the Maven repository, download all the different sources of jars and then test with them. So that's a that's a pretty daunting and exhaustive process. So Databricks makes it makes it super super easy for you to simply use the runtime, which is the okay. latest runtime released in I think June 2022. So it's pretty recent, is the Spark 3.3.0. So now it's totally available. All the packages are bundled up inside of this Databricks runtime, it just simply works. You don't have to have any concern in terms of dealing or managing jars. So that's available now in runtime 11.0. And not only that, but with the announcement of Spark 3.3.0 two months ago, pretty much, we do have lots of new improvements and capabilities um, also for having the Spark. So we have improvements on um, query execution area, We have improvements on connectors, such as Parquet or RC, JSON, CSV, JDBC, and Hive. We also have improvements on copy into capabilities that offers you uh, right off the shelf. And there's something pretty interesting called it now. So uh, this is one of the features that I like it a lot and most of the customers never user experimented this before so instead of structure streaming you have the capability to usually process the da- data in windows so it's always checking the data lake but you can come and just use like a trigger mode which is called once and the trigger mode call it once allows you to in time to time go and check the data lake or kafka and pull all the data from there however this is a single batch process mode which kind of Could break down your Spark application because you can load all the things to the Spark uh, and then you can run out of the memory, you know, can be out of memory pretty easily depending on how much data you ingested from the last batch. So this trigger dot available now allows you to one whenever you just specify a change who wants to available now you're going to be able to do pretty much the same thing but now it allows you to break it down in pieces to break it down in batches so you're going to avoid now this out of memory issue that we used to have whenever we use this for large volumes of data um
1: yeah this is obviously not not unexpected right DataBricks is going to continue adding and optimizing the proprietary part of the product right to keep um encouraging people and enticing people to um, not just use open source Spark, but to actually use Databricks itself, right? This is one of the benefits of being an actual Databricks customer is all these new runtimes that Databricks uh, regularly releases with all these proprietary advantages, right? So that's really cool. Now the next one I thought was great. This one is uh, you can now run a really tight DBT integration with the Um, jobs inside Databricks so there's a new dbt task type in the Databricks jobs and allows you to run dbt steps right there built into the Databricks environment now if you're not familiar with dbt dbt is a very popular open source tool that allows you to express transformations and dependencies for um, data transformations all through a SQL and declarative interface and dbt has a lot of open source support, it has a lot of plugins, it's got a really rich community of developers that have embraced the product. So I thought it was great and I think it's really cool that Databricks is recognizing how popular DBT is and it has brought it into a uh, full integration with the project's uh, job engine, right? you see this as getting a lot of uh, attention, traction? I think this, is, this was uh, a pleasant surprise for me.
0: Uh, yeah, I I just, I totally agree with that. I was uh, totally surprised for me to having, you know, to literally run your production jobs on dbt um, under just using Sparks engine on Databricks. But, you know, if we think for a second and step down, um, two years ago, uh, we are seeing like this urge and this new horizon to use dbt as SQL and just run into data pipelines from that. But to be super honest, I was not expecting to see so early the adoption of Spark embracing and Databricks embracing dbt and running production. But I think this is a pretty neat feature, I think is going to bring a lot of customers inside of Databricks because now you can scale out your, your dbt jobs in production and truly harness the power of the Spark engine to run that. And having this capability also allows, uh, I think, in my opinion, for customers to either choose between Spark or if they would like to go to dbt. And question for you, Warner, have you seen uh, customers now using dbt quite frequently? Yeah,
1: we see more and more people using dbt and at Pythian, we have been starting to use DVT a lot more as well. Something else that's interesting now, I'm wondering if we will see other vendors starting to adopt um, integrations for dbt too, right? Because sometimes you see this where if one vendor does something, then the other ones kind of like jump in as well, right? We will start seeing other uh, vendors like, let's say, Snowflake, uh, Synapse, or AWS, etc., all developing some sort of uh, DBT integrations. So that, I bet that that is really that's really interesting. We'll see what the market does with that. Maybe maybe it would, and it'll boost the usage of DBT most likely. And like I said, DBT already has a very rich community, and hopefully, it just gets uh, bigger and stronger. Now, I know there are now some new capabilities for the Delta Live Tables, but first, can you explain to the people listening what are the Delta Live Tables and what is this new capability? But let's, let's talk first yeah. of all, just what, what are the Delta Live Tables?
0: Yeah, that, that's a good point. So Delta Live Tables, for people that are listening uh, to us and doesn't know what it is, is just basically an abstraction created by Databricks in order to make it easy to implement. The implementation and adoption of the data architecture so under the data architecture principles we used to have bronze silver and table bronze would get your raw events in silver you would treat them and clean them as you want and just pretty much create domain tables like large tables that indices and have all the respect data from specific uh domains and then the end of the tunnel would be releasing this goal to the end users right and we used to have to build this process Um, every time following the same principles and coding over and over again. So Delta Live Tables is a simplified way to send this to the customer. So with field field coding, um, calling some specific functions, you can create an autonomous end-to-end process that runs uh, automatically for you that's going to build this entire process. So Delta Life tables are being huge, uh, a huge increment on the Databricks ecosystems. We have seen more and more adoption of this end-to-end process for Delta Lakes architecture. And the good thing now is that it was announced in April uh, 2022 uh, with the intent to pretty much abstract and make it easier for developers, data engineers to build ETL and the L2 process. But now they're putting something on top of that as well call it Project Enzyme. Enzyme, It's a new optimization okay. layer that is going to speed up even more detailed process. So do you remember the capabilities that we talked a couple of moments ago about the CDC? Um, so a- actually Project Enzyme is going to leverage the CDC to understand changes that are happening. And instead of have to read the entire Delta Live tables, they're going to read only the changes that are happening. And okay. also they're going to add like the auto-scaling feature uh right off the shelf for us so actually the intent of the project enzyme is to bring more optimization on top of the delta live tables and not only that uh something that i do love a lot about dlt which is the delta live tables per se is the capability to see everything running through a ui experience so instead of having all of these things through code, you write your code and you see something like a UI base where you can see data flowing from one step to another. And then you can see all the data in one single location. And of course, that more and more Databricks team is just working to make this pretty much, uh, they integrate this with all of the other features that we're going to talk a little bit. So we're going to talk, for example, about the Unity Catalog. It's the ability to do governance of your data. And of course the DLT leveraged that as well. So you're gonna be able to see the entire life cycle of your data in one single location.
1: Yeah, so it integrates the Delta Live tables with other Databricks components as well, right? All right, now let's see. And this is gonna be a quick update. So there is announcements of new connectors to Databricks SQL. This is the SQL engine that Databricks introduced um that is optimized for sql it uses the uh, c plus engine under the covers and now there's new connectors being uh open source for it we have connectors in go node.js python a brand new cli to interact with it and jdbc as well so that's the update there for the connectors now there's a cool update here in terms of the databricks sql engine i'll let you walk through it but Let's talk about the Databricks SQL serverless. What do you think about that? What does it mean when it says it's serverless? What are your thoughts
0: here? Yeah, that's a big win. I think I think that everyone now it's leaning towards like being serverless, right? Um, some sort of like BigQuery, Snowflake, uh, even Redshift is now is just building some parity to bring serverless approach as well. So we have seen more and more customers moving MPP or their modern data warehouse into the serverless way. And we used to have a, a little problems to explain to customer that whenever we choose Databricks SQL, we have to create a new server, which they used to call Endpoint. So we have to provision a different server, which is the photo engine that we talked uh, like a couple of seconds ago about the C++ optimized, and then run your queries on top of that and gain pretty much insights pretty fast. So that used to be cool, but we used to have like two clusters to maintain and sometimes to manage the Spark cluster plus the Databricks SQL. But now Mm -hmm. uh, Databricks is releasing this serverless uh, that it's now only available in AWS. So now customers inside of AWS can leverage the capability to have a SQL serverless um, available for you which can automatically be elastic. It's just going to lower the infrastructure cost. And of course, it's going to eliminate any management overhead that you have. So it's going to work like really pause in execution. You just throw the query, and then it's going to go do the magic, get back to you, and then it's just going to drop automatically. So you don't have to be concerned about the costs of having this extra one just you know, uh, part on every time. Or even in a schedule, but now it just run um, more efficiently. That, that that cluster, which is a pretty good adding, uh, in my opinion.
1: Okay, yeah, that's really cool. I think it's going to make it a lot easier to adopt the SQL endpoint as well. Um, more attractive for people, too, to be able to just pay for the consumption, right, of that uh, SQL endpoint or have to deploy dedicated clusters or anything like that. So that should be pretty good as well. All right, now let's talk about the Unity Catalog and what's new over there. Again, if you can introduce us first, what is the Unity Catalog, and then we can talk about what they're actually adding to it.
0: Yes, no, I think now we are moving to a full-blown experience, you know, in terms of having an end-to-end lifecycle of data, in terms of not only dealing and processing data, but also capturing the metadata of that and just applying governance on top of it. But... The point of having Unity Catalog is to unify all the catalogs that you have inside of Databricks. And that's a new feature that is coming out pretty soon. It's not GA yet, but the idea is to apply governance inside of Databricks in a sense that you're going to be able to see the entire workflow of your data flowing through end-to-end process one, in one single place where you're going to be able to See the life cycle data, the metadata, and all the stuff. And I think not only DataBricks, but the other, I would say, players are betting that pretty high. Like Microsoft. everybody's coming
1: out with their own data catalog. Yes, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. Know. Yeah. But this is a, this point. is where, this is where it gets really hard for people like DataBricks or even Snowflake. I find when they have to compete with some of these other obviously bigger vendors and. You know, like if I am if I have a lot of Azure, I have a lot of AWS, I have a lot of Google, will I want to use the Databricks catalog instead of using another catalog that's maybe sitting on the cloud provider that will be able to give me visibility to more things, right? Instead of just having a catalog that has visibility on Databricks, maybe I'll just integrate Databricks with another catalog that has visibility to more things, right? That's That's what I think is the sticking point or some of these other smaller um, catalog products, I guess, is to to see how, how do they compete, how do they get adopted versus the bigger vendor offerings, right? For example, in Azure, obviously, you and I know, and played around with Azure Purview, right? Purview. And I believe, yeah. And, and Purview will have some Databricks integration as well at some point. So, you know, do we, let me ask you this, do you think, people will implement data multiple data catalogs or do you think people will select one product and really invest on that one product like what what is your thoughts on that what do you think people are going to do
0: with this that's a really that's a really good question because i was about to ask you you know the following question i'm seeing (laughs) yes i'm seeing more and more you know these companies becoming uh a one-stop shop solution, for example, Databricks and Snowflake, and having their own way to ingest your process and deal with the queries, and also oh, um offering catalogs. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, for large customers, it's gonna be pretty, I would say, challenging to have one single point solution. So they're gonna be sitting on cloud, and whenever they see it on cloud, they're not gonna be rely, they're not gonna rely only one um solution, in my opinion. So they're gonna rely on different solutions at the same place for different teams, different departments, so on and so forth. So I think we're gonna end up having like a one big piece of catalog sitting on a specific cloud. Maybe per view is going to be a big thing. So it's offering more and more capabilities to unite all the products in one single place. So this way you're gonna be able to harness and yeah. see the entire Spectrum okay. of the data, and what are your or, thoughts
1: about it? Just bring back the question to you. Well, I think I th- I, I I do see. I think we're going to see more adoption of like large corporate level catalogs that will cross <laughs> across products. Doesn't mean that people will not use the Unity catalog, but I don't think the Unity catalog will become like the corporate data catalog. Does that make sense? So like the yeah. data team will use the Unity catalog but I don't think that the Unity catalog will be like a whole big enterprises main data catalog, right? Whereas I could see Purview being the main enterprise catalog, right? Because you know, again, it's, it's, it's at the top cloud level provider. It has integrations with lots of other products. Micro has the backing of Microsoft, et cetera, et cetera, right? So that's, that's how I see it. Probably we'll see catalogs on multiple product levels and the bigger um, products from the bigger providers, they'll be the ones that get adopted to be like the corporate uh, main solutions. That's that's totally what I see with it that part. part. Yeah, All right, but just... doesn't mean that the Unity catalog is not cool. Definitely cool. If you are a big user of DataBricks, you probably will be adopting the Unity catalog just to organize everything and be able to govern and share everything that you're doing on DataBricks. And then one interesting one, I thought uh, I just had an episode I recorded with Sandeep a couple of weeks ago about the Snowflake uh, Data Summit and how much Snowflake is investing into their marketplace and all the data sharing stuff. And obviously here we come in with, now we're going to have a Databricks marketplace. So you want to hit us uh, with that? What's that update about? What's the Databricks marketplace?
0: Uh, Yeah, it's just an easy uh, to tap solution where everyone can share data, sets, notebooks, dashboards, and and even machine learning models uh, to make it easy for people to share data. And also just, you know, having this importance to share data across multiple places, it brings this Delta sharing capability that Databricks brought like one year ago almost. I don't think it hit one year yet, but... It's a new capability where we can effective, effectively share data amongst different areas, different teams, and different Databricks installations and different customers mm. in a pretty simple way to do it. So I think market share is going to, marketplace is going to be a, a good adding to the Databricks ecosystem as the same as Snowflake is doing that as well. Right?
1: Yeah. Everybody, this is another one where everybody is doing the same thing, right? So Snowflake has their data marketplace, AWS has a data marketplace now. I think Google is coming out with a data marketplace as well. It's inside their analytics hub product. Uh, Microsoft, I uh, you know that they're revamping uh, significantly their data share service as well. I wouldn't be surprised if when that gets uh, released, we see a marketplace, a data marketplace inside Azure as well. So this is one of those good ideas that you know eventually all the cloud providers are going to be competing to have the best data marketplace right so it's just a matter of time so not surprised that databricks is moving in that direction of course and then the last announcement that i wanted to cover for today is the databricks terraform provider what can we do well let's walk through first like what can we do with the databricks terraform provider And do we think, again, it's going to be, you know, getting a lot of adoption going forward?
0: Yeah, I think more and more customers are building their infrastructure based in infrastructure as code. So, of course, that whenever you think about infrastructure as code, it's pretty tough to not think about Terraform. So Terraform became like this de facto infrastructure as code process where you can just simply code your infrastructure as you go. And that's a big thing for community because Databricks finally uh, have this total integration with Terraform, Databricks and Terraform, just becoming now GA. It's pretty recent. It happened on twenty on June 22nd, so it's pretty recent. And now you can totally write um, anything that comes to building your infrastructure from the ground up using your HACL code, which is the... Terraform code. And I think that's a pretty good thing because you can leverage this deployment in different cloud providers too. So it's going to help you help a lot to minimize the codes and extra work.
1: Yeah, we do a lot of Terraform work uh, here at Pythian, right? It's pretty much our go-to product for infrastructure as code and for managing configuration and multiple deployments in the cloud, et cetera, et cetera. And... This is, this is really good, right? Uh, we, uh, have played around quite a bit with the Snowflake Terraform provider. The Snowflake Terraform provider is actually, um, not provided by Snowflake. It's an, as a community, uh, project. And this is great to see it as a first class project for Databricks to be a Terraform, to create the Terraform provider, right? So instead of relying on the community, Databricks is recognizing we wanna have a Terraform provider, we want to support it, we wanna make sure that people know they can invest on it. It's not just a community type of um, plugin. So I think that's great. And I think that definitely is going to give confidence to people to adopt the Terraform provider going forward. All right, now finally, Before we wrap up for today, those were our favorite announcements, but how do you see the um, state of Databricks after this conference, Luan? How do you think Databricks is going to continue getting adopted? Is it still competitive? Is it getting harder to adopt Databricks because of so many features? Is it more overwhelming now? What are your take on this? like The status of Databricks in your opinion, um, for the second half of 2022.
0: That's a really good question and it's a tough one too. So I think if we look back two to three years ago, I used to see a lot of people just going through Databricks and just solving their Apache spark problem using Databricks, but now I'm just seeing that Databricks idea is to bring a one-stop solution solution for the entire life cycle of the data, bringing the spark connect Make it easier for customers to tap into the solution, bringing this level of storage layer to Delta Lake, also building the Unity Catalog, Delta Live Tables, workflows that we didn't talk here, but it's just pretty much an Airflow totally optimized for Databricks. So you're gonna be able to see your entire workflow inside of Databricks in one in one UI. So I think more and more companies either just, there's this big battle I think the battle has begun with AWS, GCP, and Google, and, and Azure, and eventually now is Snowflake, Databricks, and any other giant company wants to be like centric and has all the data, want and, and leverage for customers to like do the lifecycle of the data for data teams end to end. So mm-hmm. I think Databricks' position is pretty interesting because it is the most I would say wealthy company in the open source ecosystem. So it's just doing pretty well. I think the idea to open source Delta Lake was a pretty neat and intelligent idea because Iceberg was coming pretty rapidly and fierceness into into the big big data uh, file formats. And now having Delta sharing all the features, it just shows how uh, Databricks was feeling threatened by by this, you know. So Delta Lake is just positioning pretty good, which is good. I think they're just both in a in a in a sweet spot because they're yet releasing good things to the community and at the same time offering some capabilities inside of Databricks to make customers to stick with. So mm-hmm. I think it's just yeah. making a good job, and I think customers now can not feel uncomfortable or feeling that they're missing something inside of Databricks because the intent is to give one solution uh, inside of the platform. And I think Databricks is doing a pretty good job on that. And what are your thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, I think Databricks as a product has transformed in the last few years, right? So it used to be that, at least from an architecture perspective and from even from our own projects, we used to see Databricks as an... A component of a bigger data platform right so it was like well you got to do warehousing then you got to use you know you know, let's say you're gonna use Azure SQL data warehouse of now known as Synapse or you're gonna use Snowflake or you are gonna use Redshift right or BigQuery etc and then Databricks was seen as the oh, okay if you want to do spark and you want to do a lot of spark to go with your data warehouse then we'll have Databricks right so it was a piece of the platform but now especially with the last i would say with the last 2 years where they've really rounded up the offering with so much capability on the Lelta Lake tables whereas now we can say Databricks is not just a piece of the data platform instead is Databricks has become an option to do the whole data platform Right? Just as how you could use the whole data platform on uh, Synapse and the Azure services, or you could do the whole data platform on Snowflake, or you could do it on uh, all the services in AWS or Google. Now Databricks is kind of catching up to the point where you can say, yes, this could be your main engine going forward. It's not just a piece of the puzzle anymore. It can be the engine that you use for everything right? and really buy into the lakehouse uh, architecture. Right, so now with these new capabilities where the Delta Lake tables, um, the uh, performance optimizations, I am really excited to try out, I haven't tried it out, I don't know if it's preview, I might not have access to it, but I really wanna try out the serverless SQL endpoints because one of my sticking points, I think we did a call, you and I did a call about this a while ago, or maybe we talked about it, about how the SQL clusters were still very slow to come up. Right, slow to come up and go down. So, you know, you wait for a long time to get your query, and then, you know, they have to be idle for a while as well before they shut down. And then you don't want to wait a long time again. So, it wasn't really super responsive when I tried it out. I tried it out probably around maybe like November of last year. So, it's been a while. Uh, I'm really excited to try out the SQL endpoints and see how responsive they are because I think that to me is still a, a gap. Where I might still be more hesitant to recommend somebody to only have DataBricks, right? Because I don't like that experience of waiting for a long time for the compute to come up, right? And yeah, you can always have just like the endpoint running permanently, but obviously that's not cost efficient for for many people, right? So, um, yeah. So it has been definitely a product transformation, and it has definitely changed the face of a product from just being a beefed up Spark to a full blown. Um, data platform, right? And I think most likely what we're going to see going forward is more clients are going to come in and they're going to tell us that they're interested in doing Databricks as their whole end-to-end platform, right? So that's going to be cool. And that's also a great opportunity, obviously, more competition for everybody and the winners are going to be the end users of all these cool data products like you and I. All right. So that's all we have for today, folks. Thanks for joining Luan and myself. I hope you enjoyed all the greatest and latest announcements from the Databricks Data and AI Summit Conference. Again, this is not an exhaustive list. If you want to check everything out, go to the Databricks blog, and you'll be able to find every single of the new announcements. Until next time, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Navigating the Datascape.